Good morning. Welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us and being a part of our community. This is week three of our Prayers of Jesus series, where we are learning from Jesus' prayers how we can either start, develop, or strengthen our practice of prayer. Because sometimes it can be hard to know whether or not we're doing this well or doing it right. Like, does God hear us when we pray? What about those times where it seems like he doesn't hear us when we pray? Are there things that we can pray about or we can't pray about? Can we pray for ourselves? There's all these questions surrounding the practice of prayer. And so this series, it's our attempt to answer some of these questions head on. And again, learn from Jesus' prayers how to best uh, strengthen, develop, and, and, and practice uh, the spiritual discipline of prayer. In our first week, we looked at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And one of our main takeaways was really how short of a prayer that was. It's just four or five sentences long. And so from that, we kind of wanted to take the pressure off ourselves and know that it's okay for us to, to voice these short conversations to the Lord and that he absolutely hears us when we voice these prayers. And so we, we thought from week one, that's an easy first step to take in developing and, and, and strengthening this, this practice of prayer and, and learning and getting comfortable with lifting up these these four or five sentence prayers. This morning, we're going to be on the opposite end of that spectrum. In John chapter 17, we have the longest recorded prayer of Jesus, and it's right at 26 verses long, quite different from Matthew 6. You know, and, and there are times where we're right to lift up a four or five sentence prayer to the Lord. And then there are other times with what we're facing, what we're walking through, what our loved ones are walking, walking through, different questions and challenges and obstacles that are happening in our life, where a four to five sentence prayer might not even cover the introduction to the topic, right? And so there are times where, you know, we just have those moments in life. I know I've had them. I know you probably have where it's like, Dear God, I'm about to unload all this on you because I don't know where else to put it. And you just start praying and you just keep going and going and going and going. And, you know, we, we, we learned last week that through Jesus, every time we pray, it's an experience of the grace of God that he would allow us to do such a thing. That our good God, that our heavenly father, that he is there to listen to every word that we say when we just pour out our lives to him. And we, we voice these prayers that are way longer than four or five sentences, but go on and on as we're just giving our burdens, giving our cares over to the Lord. Well, in John chapter 17, where we have this long, ver long, long prayer from Jesus, Jesus is in one of those moments as well because he is staring down his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. He knows he's about to suffer in unimaginable ways. And so John 17 contains his prayer as he prepares himself and his disciples for what he's about to face. It's such a powerful prayer that it's, it's been named with like a hundred different names. Uh, some refer to this prayer as actually the real Lord's Prayer in that he prays for himself, his disciples, and the future church. And he's not just giving an example of prayer like he does in Matthew chapter 6 that we looked at a few weeks ago. Still, some call this prayer the, the high priestly prayer in that Jesus is about to fulfill his priestly function in offering the sacrifice for the sins of those who believe in him. Still others call this a prayer of consecration as Jesus is consecrating himself or preparing himself for all that he is about to face, for really for all that he is about to accomplish. Whatever name you want to give to it, whatever name you want to give to this prayer, this is a prayer that teaches us so much about who Jesus is, the work that he has done on our behalf, and the work that he calls his followers to carry on, to pick up, and to engage. And so today, and over the next two Sundays, we're going to take a deep dive into this prayer. Uh, we're, we're, to, today, we're just going to look at the first five verses. And then next week, we're going to look at when Jesus prays for his disciples. And the week after that, we'll look and see how Jesus, well, how he prays for us and how he prays for the church today. 
This morning, we're going to look at these first five verses where Jesus prays for himself. And I hesitate to describe it that way because it makes it sound like these five verses are focused solely on Jesus when he prays for himself, when really it's the exact opposite. Jesus is praying for himself, but he is not the focus of his prayer. And you see, when you and I, when we are going through trials and tribulations and, and seasons of heartache and stress and suffering, and we know we need to talk with the Lord, and we know that we need to pray to him to help us survive and carry through that moment, I think these opening verses from Jesus can help us in that effort, in that we can learn to pray for ourselves, but not make the mistake of being focused solely on ourselves. You see, when we make that mistake and focus solely on ourselves in our prayers, oftentimes we become blinded to what's really happening around us. We can become blinded and, and maybe miss out on the work that God wants to accomplish maybe in our own hearts and lives, or maybe he strategically placed us to pick up and engage and accomplish in the world around us. So I want us to see it. Go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5 are going to be the, the five verses that we focus in on. Now, I, I said it just a moment ago. Uh, Jesus voices this prayer as he's staring down his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. So that lets you know this prayer is happening really at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Like right at the end. Um, it, the, the few chapters leading up to John 17, Jesus is directly pouring into his disciples. He is letting them know, preparing them for uh, the, what they're about to see in, in the cross, for the brutality of the cross, and really he's preparing them for what's going to happen um, when he leaves his earthly ministry with them and entrusts them with it. And he, he tells them about the, the coming of, of the Holy Spirit and, and his role as counselor and comforter for them. And so it's, all, it's that time in, in Jesus's ministry uh, and his ministry to the disciples. So he's, he's, he's poured into them, and then after he teaches them, he then stops and he turns to pray. And this is where we come in the text. John chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given to him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So there's a lot happening in those five verses. And, and, and we're going to go back and kind of work our way through the text. But I want you to notice how it begins. Jesus begins this prayer just like he did the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. He says, Father, when he's speaking to the one true God. Now, that, that might be a common concept to us but to, to now, but in this time of Jesus, this was radically new for Jesus to do this. And, and he, he, he tells the disciples, you can pray to your father, uh, to, to the Lord as father. You can pray in this way. And then he models this for them. Again, when we are standing, when we are praying, right, we are standing before a holy, righteous, almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, eternal God. But yet he invites us to come close and call him father. He invites us to come close and call him Father. And here, at this trying moment for Jesus, at this most pressing moment for Jesus, he does this as well. He leans in again in the hope, comfort, and provision of his loving Heavenly Father. And so, yes, we are right to pray for ourselves. We are right to pray for ourselves in our time of need because, again, we are praying to our Heavenly Father who knows us, who loves us, and greatly cares about what is going on in our life. And so 
I, I say all that to say just don't blow by this opener because it would be so easy. We say Father and, and skip to the next. We need to understand the hope that we have in that again. We can, in our prayers, address the Lord as Father. So here Jesus begins with that. And, but then right after he begins, we see him present the need and the request. The need, Father, the hour has come. That's the need. The hour has come. Some of your translations might say the time has come. What's the hour? What's the time? The time and the hour is now for Jesus to be the sacrifice for the sins of those who believe in him. It's, the time has come for him to do that work. For the past three years, he's preached the hope of the kingdom of God. And he's shown the, the power of the kingdom of God. Now he's to show the power and redemption of the kingdom of God in being the one to suffer a brutal death pay the penalty for the sins uh, of humanity, and then conquer death, walk out of the tomb, and ascend in glory. The hour has come for that to happen. The hour has come for, for those things to transpire. And although it's going to end in victory, right, ultimately with the resurrection, ultimately with Jesus ascending into heaven, although it's going to end in victory, there's trial, there's heartache, there is hardship, there is extreme suffering in Jesus' immediate future. The hour has come. That's the need. That's the need that he was feeling, that he was experiencing. That's the need that really he is expressing to his father as he prays. But then the request comes right after that. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Now when Christ dies a sacrificial death and then conquers the grave, that for sure will bring glory to Jesus as he's the only one who has the ability to do that, right? He has the, the authority to lay down his life, the authority to pick it back up again. That will bring glory to Christ and that, that he obeys his father's plan in this. So know this, when, when Jesus is saying, glorify your son so that I might glorify you, he's not asking for bright lights and a parade and, and all that sort of stuff. He's not asking for some sort of a, an, an easy escape from this plan. He, he, he's 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 seeing the end of his father's plan. He's wanting to carry it through to completion. Glorify your son so that I might glorify you. When he suffers death, burial, and resurrection, that is going to happen. Jesus will be glorified in this. But as he does this, it does show the fulfillment of his father's plan. And with that, it brings glory to God the Father and that he enacted such a plan to bring about the redemption for sinners, right? Because when Christ suffers that death, yes, our sins are given to him. And with that, we are crucified with Christ. We die a spiritual death with Christ. And when he comes out of the tomb and, and, and raises to walk in newness of life, we too can know that our sins have been dealt with and paid for, and that we too are resurrected with Christ, that we will have eternal life with him and with the Father. And so when Jesus does this, it brings glory to God the Father that he enacted such a plan. And so the reason I'm hammering on this so hard is because what you see here is the glory of the Son and the glory of the Father, they're intricately tied together, and it's designed that way. It's designed that way. It's designed that way. And know this, throughout Christ's entire earthly ministry, his one aim, his one mission in life was to glorify his Father. He's done that the past three years by preaching the hope and the power of the kingdom of God. And now he's going to do this by suffering the cross and making a way for sinners and outcasts to be brought in the family of God. For us to then marvel at God, glorify God, worship God for the riches of his grace, mercy, love, kindness, and redemption. Like, 
the glory of the Father has been Jesus' aim throughout his earthly ministry. And now even with the cross and its pain right in front of him, Jesus still desires to glorify his Father. It's just a, a short while before John 17 where Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's letting his disciples know, hey, I know exactly what I'm walking into. I know exactly what is going to happen to me. But in John chapter 12, verse 27, 28, he says it this way. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus' one focus has not changed. His one purpose has not changed. His desire is to glorify his Father in heaven. So catch this. Here when he prays, when Jesus prays for himself, it's tied to his mission. When Jesus prays for himself, it's tied to his mission and the work that God had given to him to do. He's going to go on from here and, and describe that work and describe that mission. Verse 2 and verse 3. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given to him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus was sent to make a way for, for us, for, for those dead in our sins, to have eternal life with God the Father. God granted to Jesus the ability to do this and the authority to do this for all who believe in, in the work of Christ. This is the same truth of John 3.16 that, that maybe you've heard before. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not per perish but have eternal life. It's the same mission. It's the same work. Jesus has been committed to this effort, to this work from the very beginning, and he will see it through to its completion. Verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus is going to finish the work. Again, it's not save me from this hour, it's glorify your name through the hour. He's been focused on the work of God throughout his entire earthly ministry, and now even with the cross in view, with sufferings in view, this is not going to change. He will carry it all the way through to completion, to where on the cross he will cry out, it is finished, when he gives up his life for those whom he's come to save. Jesus is still focused on bringing glory to his Father all the way to the end. Because again, the glory of the Son, the glory of the Father are intricately connected. So much so to where he will ask for the Lord to glorify him again. Verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. That is a very, very theologically full verse. It is dense and it is packed. It is packed. For starters, and maybe I should have talked about this with, with verse 1, where he says, glorify your son. When, when Jesus asks for glory from God the Father, he is asserting that he is equal to God the Father. So this one verse that we're going to have, it's going to give us an insight into the Trinity, and really it's going to give us an insight into the Incarnation as well. But no, when he asks for God the Father to glorify him, he is asserting that he is equal to God the Father. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, God's word says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. So for Jesus to, to ask for this, it is a claim of deity and a claim to be an equal member of the Trinity with God the Father. Because no human or no creature, anything less than God, could experience the glory of God and live. He will not yield his glory to another, but he will yield it to God the Son. 
Because, again, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, they are one in the Trinity. And so it is a claim of deity from Christ that he would ask the God the Father to do such a thing. What we also see with this is that it shows that God the Son was with God the Father in eternity past. Because he says, glorify me, with your, uh, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. That reinforces the teaching of the incarnation or what we celebrate around Christmas, right? When Jesus you know, leaves the glory of the triune Godhead and comes and walks this earth, right? He, he, he gives up that glory and takes on human flesh, makes himself nothing, and walks on this earth. But now that his time on earth is done, Jesus is praying for, that, uh, for a return to glory now that his work is finished. So this one statement reinforces the eternal nature and the eternal existence of God the Son and how he is equal to God the Father. And that is why it's right for him to ask God the Father to glorify him. Because in doing so, God the Son will bring glory to God the Father. Again, theologically full verse. And, and we went quickly through it. If you don't understand it or don't understand all, all the depth to it, just take this away from it. From start to finish, in these five verses, Jesus is focused on glorifying his Father. So much that when he asks for him to be glorified himself, when Jesus prays for himself, it's tied to his mission. It's tied to the work of glorifying his Father. So even when he prays for himself in this passage, it's not self-focused. It is not self-centered. He has in mind the plan of God, the glory of God, and the work of God through it so then, what is the application for you and for me? What is the principle that we can learn? What is it that we can take from these five verses and apply to our efforts to either begin, strengthen, or develop our practice of prayer? Pretty much every day, there could be something that could cause you to, to want to pray or prompt you to pray to the Lord for yourself. And let me say this from the get-go, do it, right? Absolute, you should absolutely pray for yourself. Uh, and I, I know it's weird to say that, but I do think there's some people that struggle with, is it right for me to pray for myself? Or is that sinful? Or is that selfish that I'm, I'm focused on myself and my needs? Should not be praying for those around me? Should not be lifting up the needs and concerns of others? Okay, yes, you can do those things. But look, if Jesus, God the Son, if he prayed for himself, it is right for us to pray for ourselves before the Lord. You don't need to think of it as, as selfish. You don't need to think of it as self-centered or, or, or serving a selfish end, all right? So yes, you should absolutely pray for yourself. Now, I hope it goes without saying, but I am going to say it just to make it clear. We don't ask God to glorify us, right? We don't ask God to, to bring us glory because we are not God. And, and if you are asking God to bring you glory so that you then could credit him with that or, or, or give glory to so that you can turn glorify him and you honestly think that that's how you would handle it, you are deceiving yourself because the moment we get glory, the moment the adulation comes our way, it's very easy for us to get drunk off our own headlines. And we don't, we don't push that. We don't, we don't give credit. We don't point that in, in other directions. So it's very easy for us to deceive ourselves. And so one really just... If you're thinking, hey, I'm going to pray that God would glorify me and then I'll glorify him with whatever glory comes my way, you're, you're deceiving yourself and you're wrong in it. I would also say that you're getting really close to idolatry with that type of a prayer. Because you've either turned yourself into some, like your own God, and that you think God should glorify you or bring some sort of glory to you, um, or, or uh, like, 
well, one, you're turning yourself in your own, in your own God there, so that's, that's running the, the risk of idolatry there. Uh, or you're trying to use God to get something else for you. If it's, if it's God bring me glory and you want the trappings of that, then that's what you're really after. And now you're trying to use God as a means to an end, and this is what's preeminent in your life and not God. And biblically, that's idolatry. You've raised something higher than the Lord. Now, you might say, I would never ask God to glorify me. I would never ask for God to bring me glory. And so why, why are you even having this conversation? Well, I don't know if we would ever use those words, but again, we might ask God for all the trappings of that, right? Like it, well, there's lots of times where we'll be like, God, if you'll give me the car, if you'll give me the job, or if you'll give me the finances, if you'll give those things to me, then I'll glorify you with those. If you'll give those things to me, then, then, then I'll make sure I give you the credit. And and, and so many times, again, like we're deceiving ourselves in, the, in, in that moment. I mean, there's, there's a car around Jack. It's a, it's a gold Jaguar that says for his glory on the back of it. And I look at that and I laugh and I'm like, really? Is that really for his, is, is that really for his glory? Are you deceiving yourself in this? And so it's showing that you value the thing more than God. And he's just a means to an end. And it's, it's idolatry. I think those are self-focused, uh, self-centered prayers that are really just kind of patronizing God the Father. Here's the deal. I'm not being, uh, I'm not, not throwing stones without hitting myself, all right? Um, I have voiced many of those prayers. You know, I, I've voiced many of those prayers, and I, I haven't ever prayed the prayer like, God, give me glory in this, but I have churched it up to where I think it's acceptable. And so I've, I've voiced many of those prayers, and I'm sure I will again one day in the future, but I hope I'll, I'll yield to the text. I hope I'll learn from this to so where I can see the fallacy of them, to where I can see that, that those are sinful and selfish prayers um, that I'm voicing there. But again, to go back to what we said at the beginning, we are right to pray for ourselves. So how do we do this in a way to where it's, um, it's not selfish, to where it's not self-centered, to where we're not um, raising ourselves higher than, than, than the Lord or, or making us the object and the focus uh, solely of our prayers. And so how do we do this? I, I think from this text, the application for this is, is absolutely when we face trials and tribulations and heartache, or, or maybe, maybe life is just neutral, but we're praying for, for things to happen, uh, for, or maybe for, for good things to happen for us or our loved ones. Okay, when, when we're going through those times, we're right to ask for wisdom or patience and deliverance, and maybe right to ask for opportunities to open up, right? We're, asked, we're right to ask for those things. But what we learn from Jesus' prayer is that even in these times of prayer for ourselves, we cannot make the mistake of being f focused solely on ourselves. Because when we commit that error, you know, when, when that happens, we are blinded to what's happening around us, and we miss out on either the work that God wants to do in our own hearts and souls or we miss out on the work that God has strategically placed us to accomplish. I mean, think about it. Had Jesus gotten to this point at the end of his earthly ministry and finally got to this point and then said, you know what, I'm out or I'm done. So just God help me escape, help me to, to, help me to get away from this or help this to kind of break the way that I want it to break to where all this doesn't happen, then, then, he, then it would be off, right? It would be a, a fail at the end of this. It wouldn't have glorified the Son. It wouldn't have glorified the Father. Sinners would be lost and we would be hopeless. But no, Jesus knew in this critical moment, this was time for him all the more to engage and finish the work that God had given him to do, to glorify the Father. So even as he's praying for himself, he ties it to the mission that God had given to him. He tied it to the work that God had given to him to do. So again, for you and me, application here. When we walk through hardships, 
and there are plenty of hardships that we walk through, we are right to pray for ourselves. But the help here is to know that let's not be the focus of that prayer. God, the Father, and his redeeming work must be the focus of our prayers. And I think when we can, can make that shift, or not shift, make that connection, when we can do that, it's going to help us remember, it's going to help you remember that, that maybe you weren't like you weren't created for that moment. You weren't created to walk through that hardship or walk through that. I don't know, maybe you were. But what it is, that moment, that hardship, that trial, that is a moment where you can live out your created purpose, where we can glorify our Father in heaven and engage the redeeming work that he has us to do in this world. And really, when we do that, like that is a way that the God of redemption does those things. It's a way that God does his redeeming work in your heart and in your soul. And it's a way, absolutely a way, that he redeems trials, sufferings, and heartaches to accomplish his good ends. So when we pray for ourselves, we need to be mindful of anchoring it to our created purpose so that we glorify him by the way that we live, by the way that we love, by the way that we obey his calling, his commands, by the way we serve, by the way that we join in the redeeming work that he is doing, regardless of our setting, regardless of our circumstances. And I think there's a difference there. I do. Like, like there's, there's one way. It could be, God, give me wisdom to get through this. Give me patience to get through this. God, help the sickness to go away. God, help uh, the uh, addiction to wane. God, and, and, and we can pray those things. And, and look, Pray those. Put those before the Lord, all right? Those are good prayers to pray. Those are things we need to lift up to him. But what I'm saying is, is don't stop there. Don't stop with just the give me wisdom or give me patience or, or let this. Like, don't stop there. Take it the one step further and connect it to God's mission and to God's redeeming work. And, and yes, I think there's a difference. So yes, pray for deliverance. We still pray for addiction to leave, for the sickness to be cured, for the finances to work out, for the job to open up. But in those, it's God, God give me the, the wisdom or the insight or the knowledge to be able to be aware to somehow, some way, bring you glory in and through this hardship. God, help me have the wisdom or insight to be aware that you might be accomplishing your divine and eternal purposes in my heart and in my soul in and through this time. Or that, God, you might be accomplishing your purposes in the world, in the world around me. God, help me. In this moment, be aware of that. And in your prayer for yourself, connect it back to his mission. Connect it back to the work that he is doing in this world. Hear me when I say this, though. I don't say that um, trivial, trivially, lightly, or, or, or glibly. It's, it's not like, I don't even know if those are the adjectives that I'm, I need to use. Because it's, it's not like if you pray those things or even mindful of, of God's work that he's doing in your life and the world around you, that everything's going to be okay in that hardship. I, I cannot make that promise to you. I won't make that promise to you. Because when you suffer a loss, it hurts and it stings. Right? When, when, when you have the significant loss, like a job or worst case scenario, lose a loved one. Oftentimes, maybe the last thing on your mind is how do I glorify God in this moment? Because, in, because your heart is full of grief and lament 
and anguish and maybe even accusations towards God. And so I'm not going to pretend that those are going to go away when we pray for ourselves and connect it to his mission. But I do believe, I do believe that when we pray for ourselves in that moment and ask God to help us stay connected to his mission and to his work in this world, I think that prayer in so many ways can be the north star on the horizon that helps us cut through the emotional fog. It can be the anchor that holds. It can be the light at the end of the tunnel that we know that, that one day, one day, okay, and it might not be next week, it might not be next year, it might not be, might not be until we are with God looking back on this temporal world through the lens of the eternal one that we can see how when we pray for ourselves in a way that keeps God and his mission at the focus, that yes, God can absolutely redeem the moment, redeem the situation, and bring good out of broken, out of the hurting, and out of the loss. Because you see, it's in these opening five verses where Jesus prays and prepares himself for what he was about to suffer, but also for what God was about to accomplish. And in the same way, prayer it connects us to God's ongoing mission in the world and strengthens us in the midst of our suffering and hardship. That's the takeaway of the whole sermon. Prayer, it connects us to God's ongoing mission in the world and it strengthens us in our times of suffering and hardship. Because I don't know what you're walking through, what you have walked through, what you're about to walk through, but I am praying that you will pray for yourself. I'm praying that you will have those times before our gracious Heavenly Father where you will be open and honest with grief, despair, agony, and accusation. But you'll be honest also with joy and hopes and dreams and celebration and victory, that you will just be honest with Him in that prayer. And in so doing, lift those to Him but stay mindful that God has called and that God, that God has placed you to pick up and join in the redeeming work that he is doing in the world around you. I'm praying that when you pray for yourself, you connect it and tie it to his mission because I believe that when we do, that is a way that even through and especially through these times of prayer, we can continue to discover life in him. Let me pray for us. God, we love you, we love you, and we thank you for this gift of prayer. And we thank you for the invitation that we can come before you and, and, and call you Father and know that you are a good heavenly Father who listens to the prayers of his children. And so, God, with that, we absolutely can pray for ourselves. And so, God, help us to do that. Help us to unashamedly and, and unabashedly come before you and, and, and put our needs before us. So, God, when we need patience, when we need wisdom, when we need guidance, when we need, when need, we need restraint, God, when we're wanting to be people who learn how to pray, God, I pray that we would lift that to you and honestly say, God, help us learn to pray. God, that, that, that nothing would be off the table from what we would bring before you. But God, help us in placing these petitions and requests before you. God, help us stay mindful of keeping these connected towards your mission and towards the work you're accomplishing in this world. 
God, help us to not put ourselves at the center and the focus of our prayers, even when we are praying for ourselves. But Lord God, keep you at the center, keep you at the focus, and keep the redemptive work that you are doing in this world at the focus of our prayers. God, help us. Help us. See what you are doing around us and, and, and put our hands to that work, Lord God. We love you. We thank you for the grace that you have given us uh, in, this, in hearing this prayer. We thank you for the grace that you've given us in your son and the redemptive work that he has done on our behalf in the cross, Lord God. And we thank you for the example that he has given to us in this prayer of how to pray for ourselves in such a way to where we connect to your ongoing mission in the world. God, we love you. And we thank you. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.